Hello everyone and welcome back to Badgerland Journal Stories of Wisconsin. I am your host, Abby Alcox, and we are back at you with a somewhat spooky episode. I'm still thinking it's in the vein of, you know, October and Halloween, but it's a little less ghostly or, well, no, it's grisly. It's definitely grisly. Um, but today I am going to be talking about Black River Falls and a documentary and book, well, the book came first, that came out of a time period that was very grim in Wisconsin history, specifically Black River Falls' history. So to give you a little bit of background, um, Black River Falls, or what will become Black River Falls, is founded when a sawmill opened in 1818, around, or 1819. They're not exactly sure exactly when it showed up but early 1800s, and it's said that the city was founded in 1939 by a Jacob Spaulding. And really, this is a lumberjack settlement. Like, people came because of the sawmill and started kind of building up this town. There's a lot of Norwegian and German immigrants, other European settlers who are trying to make something of themselves in this new world. And originally this was, um, they will refer to them as the Winnebago or the Ho-Chunk people were native to this area. However, they were removed to Nebraska at one point and then they came back and settled and started assimilating into kind of European settler society, Americans at this point, because you know, they're in America. They see themselves as Americans. Um, the city was really known for uh, disasters striking because in 1860, the business district was destroyed by a fire. And then 18 years later, in 1878, it was once again destroyed by a fire. Um, and then I believe that was in... Oh, I didn't write it down. But in the early like 1900s, um, the business district was once again destroyed by flooding caused by two dams failing upriver. Um, so that's actually not the horror creepy element to this story. Um, that's just misfortunate things that happened in this city. Although maybe they were some indication that this place was like cursed or something. I don't know. Um, I'm a historian. I deal in facts. So I'm not going to delve into curses. But after hearing some of these stories, you might might question whether something supernatural was happening, and I'm going to leave that up to you to decide. Um, but this all really started when the mines and the lumber industry in the town went out of business, and this is in the 1890s-ish. It goes on to like 1910-ish, not saying bad things didn't happen after that, but that's when um, specifically the documentary and book I keep saying documentary and book like the documentary came first. The book came first. Um, but where they focus on is in that 20-year span. And so when these businesses went out of business, um, there was high unemployment. Um, there was a ripple effect. Um, people started leaving the town and the banks failed because people were just pulling out of their, all of their savings out of the banks because they needed it now. And so this led into a winter of starvation and people were struggling to feed and clothe themselves and their families. 
some really weird stuff happened that you're going to look at and go, what the heck? Um, some people blamed this on witchcraft or devil worship, and there was just a large number of diseases going around and people who were succumbing to alcoholism. It was not a great time. So I've mentioned this book um, multiple times, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background on that. It is called Wisconsin Death Trip. And it was was written by uh, Michael Lessie, who was a college student at Madison. And one day he was at the Wisconsin Historical Society, and which, by the way, is um, a huge resource in most of these podcasts. So if you're interested, you should definitely go check them out. Um, but he was at the Wisconsin Historical Society and the curator at the time showed him a picture that was taken by Charles Van Shake. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and he was really intrigued by this photo and of the other ones that he saw, um, because they're taken during this time period around Black River Falls. And they're just kind of stark if you look at some of them. Uh, you can see the suffering going on in these people's eyes. And so this brought him into a rabbit hole, which I fully understand because doing these podcasts, sometimes there's a topic that I just can't let go of. And I'm just like, Ooh. um, so he ended up writing this, um, Wisconsin death trip in 1973. And of the 8,000 photographs that the Wisconsin historical society saved from Van Schaak's collection, he used less than 200 of those in his book which are still plenty to convey his point. He also used many of the newspaper accounts that came from the Badger State Banner, which was kind of a local newspaper covering all of the gossip in Black River Falls and the surrounding Jackson County. He does bring in other very tragic things happening in Wisconsin, so it's not just, it's not just solely focused on Black River Falls. Um, but kind of this time period in general. But like I said, a lot of it was centered around this. And then in 1999, they did make a documentary out of the book. And it's interesting because it's not like a normal historical documentary where, you know, you have some historian talking about like, yeah, this is what was happening, da, 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 da. It's really just the articles being read off and then some kind of reenactment of the scenes that they describe and these photos that were used in the book. And then it's kind of like juxtaposed with uh, what does Black River Falls look like now and what are people talking about? And so it's, it's definitely more of a artistic documentary, but obviously they're using primary sources. And it's just kind of unsettling. Like, it's a great documentary. Like, I think that was their point, was to make it unsettling. Um, but if you would like to, it's on YouTube. It's Wisconsin Death Trip documentary. It'll come up. It's about, like, an hour and 20-ish minutes. Um, so if you're interested after this podcast and want to hear, like, the full accounts, definitely go check that out. But I'm not going to cover every single story covered in this documentary, but I'm going to cover a few because uh, it'll give you an idea of what people were going through at this time. 
And we're going to actually start off in maybe the one of the less morbid stories that come out of this. And that is the story of Mary Sweeney, who she was a notorious window smasher across the entire state. And occasionally I think she went to like Minnesota or Michigan and, you know, raised some hell there. Um, so whenever she was caught, she was either sent to an asylum or to jail. And her story is, is that she was a educated woman. She taught at Stevens Point, but she had like a breakdown. She ran away from her husband, started using cocaine to quiet her nerves, which I'm sure probably led to some of this erratic behavior. Um, and she claimed that she didn't know why she broke windows. Um, but she could not help it. She could not stop this need to break windows. And so she ends, ends up being jailed more than a hundred times. And she claimed to have destroyed $50,000 worth of glass. I didn't find an exact time period of like when she mentioned this comment. Um, but if we're assuming that it's like 1910, I was going to give it the benefit of the doubt of like the latest date possible. Um, this would have been $1,562,147.37 today. Just in windows that she smashed uncontrollably. Um, and she would come into these different towns and like people would pay for her ticket out of the town to get rid of her. And then once she arrived at the next city, the entire town was like, ah, crap. What do we do with her? Do we just put her in an asylum right away? We know she's going to smash windows. And sometimes she would like kind of blackmail uh, the city officials to buy her ticket out. She like didn't have the money. She's like, if you do not buy my ticket, I'm going to start smashing windows. And so that's how she got train rides all over the state. Just make it someone else's problem. So that's the story of Mary Sweeney. There is, there is a song about her. So if you want to check that one out, I did listen to it. It's kind of folky. Um, like folk music. And so I liked it. But you can check out a brief view of the Hudson. Um, and their song is called Wisconsin Window Smasher. And it's about Mary Sweeney. So fun fact there. Alright, now we get into a little bit more mm, spiritual maybe. Because this woman said she heard voices. But we have the story of Pauline Lalamond. And this woman was born in Syracuse, New York, and she claimed to have sung all over Europe. And this is, like, verified. Um, what comes into question is if the woman who enters Black River Falls is the same Pauline that, you know, toured Europe singing. She was an opera singer. And so her goal was to bring like an opera scene to the United States so she wanted to tour and she'd made enough money in Europe to fund this herself however this ended up flopping because she did have a good voice she wasn't like an extraordinary singer and so she got as far as Milwaukee before her company of opera singers disbanded and it was there that she was convinced to buy land in Black River Falls. And she it was supposed to be like this paradise. And I think she tried to trick herself into thinking it was paradise. But she lived in a swamp. And it was not a great existence. She lived there with her son, who was also a musician. And they have very little food. 
and they often were living in their like opera costumes um which i think does give some credence to the idea that this was the real pauline but even the people in black river falls at the time questioned whether or not she was who she claimed to be and so they would put on performances at their homes to try and earn a little bit of money and many people said she did have a good voice but it was kind of uh, interrupted by the chattering of her dentures because at this time she had lost all of her teeth. And when she'd fallen on hard times, she started to believe that she was the victim of some grand conspiracy. She was hearing voices. Her son ended up ended up making a Ouija board, which I think is never a great idea if you're already hearing voices. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about a Ouija board. On one hand, I'm like, it's a game. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't want to tempt fate, man. That just seems like something I do not want to touch. Nothing good ever seems to come out of Ouija boards. And so their time in Black River Falls came to an end when her son Edgar, that was her son's name, um, stole three bags of cement, I think, to repair their house. And neither ended up like facing charges. I think they were charged, but then uh, they were dismissed. But they were evaluated at this time, and both of them were deemed to be insane. And so they were sent to the Mendota, like, insane asylum, um, which is kind of where a lot of these people ended up. I don't know how many asylums were in Wisconsin at that time, um, but I'm sure... Oh, my lights just went out. So the room I'm recording in has, like, one of those, like, light motion sensors. So if you don't move for long enough, it'll, like, turn off, which was a little bit creepy when I'm recording and then the lights go off and you're like hee but it's okay I have light again um hopefully that doesn't happen again or else you can hear me go hee um anyways so they are sent to the Mendota hospital and they end up escaping and going to Illinois and Edgar is said to have created an aluminum violin which I'm curious if that uh that uh plays as nicely as like a wooden violin I guess we're not using them today, so maybe not that successful. Um, and then Pauline is mentioned in a newspaper for bringing charges against a woman in a boarding house who was a ventriloquist, and she accused her of purposely, like, throwing her voice in order to, like, uh, harass and bother Pauline. And so it also makes me question if she could figure out this person was a ventriloquist and throwing her voice, uh, but she couldn't distinguish earlier when she heard voices, like, did she get better? We don't know. Hopefully she had a good end of her life, but that is kind of the story of an opera singer that came to Black River Falls and maybe didn't have the happiest experience there. So, so far, those two stories are more just oddities, interesting people during this time, and now we're going to get into, like, the more morbid stuff of this time period including the story of John Anderson. Now, to give some context of this time, you have a lot of people who are out of work, they can't provide for their families, and so you're seeing a lot of children that are abandoned. Um, there's a story of like an infant being left on a church steps and a eight-year-old boy just being sent on a train with no one to come and pick him up, um, a mother just leaving him there, sending mom in his way. 
And so children were being abandoned, they were being unsupervised, which means children are going to get into trouble. Um, so you have the story of John Anderson, and he was a runaway, and he took with him his little brother and his father's rifle. And they found the farm of Marcus Homefeld, and when they came upon him, you have Anderson will shoot and kill this farmer. And then he convinced his brother that they should live in his farmhouse like true outlaws, which this lasted about a week before the brother of Marcus Holmfeld came to visit him, found his brother not there, and was able to get the whole story out of the younger brother. So obviously the younger brother is taken into custody somewhere. I don't think he was charged, but they were obviously going to take him back home. And John takes off and he flees. So obviously the sheriff and his officers t um, pursue him and they will eventually take him into custody, but not before John will kill one of the officers. And in the newspaper, they talk about this was a German boy with no education and he would end up being sentenced to life in prison for his crimes. His father was requested to show up to the trial, but he refused. And it seems this entire thing, the boy did not understand the severity of the crime he had committed. Like, he didn't understand why killing this farmer was bad. And I think that just shows how little guidance there was at this time. And so you have a lot of children... Uh, I think not purposefully hurting people, but not understanding, you know, what does a rifle do? Um, and hurting people around them. Like I said, this may have been, this very well was intentional, but I'm not sure he understood the severity. There's also a lot of cases of jilted lovers and people ending up dead over love. You know, love conquers all. Maybe. Anywho. So you have the case of Lena Watson, who was e admitted to the Mendo Mendota Asylum, and they said that her case was a case of jilted love, and she was at the asylum for less than a month when she committed suicide. At Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, you had Edwin Miller killing himself with his father's pistol, and he left a letter for the woman he loved. So again, possibly like couldn't be with her, so therefore he killed himself. And then a man killed a woman he had been courting after she refused to marry him. He then shot himself in the head. However, he was able to recover from his wounds. The woman was not. And then a man killed his wife and two other acquaintances near Appleton after she claimed to have deserted him. I believe they actually just had filed for a divorce, which in his eyes was probably the same thing. And then William Oliver was a well-known father farmer who killed himself after a woman refused to become his third wife. So there seemed to be a lot of cases of rejected love where the person would either kill themselves or kill the person that rejected them and then themselves. It wasn't a great time. So some other just uh, not great stories. You had a farmer who committed suicide not by normal means like drugs or a rifle, pistol. Um, instead, he chose by dynamite. He dug a hole in the ground, put the dynamite in the hole, laid his head over it, 
And then when he was lighting the fuse said, here I go and the Lord go with me. So I'm sure that was not a pretty scene. A man 35 years old laid across a railroad track at Rhinelander, hoping to be run over by the train. It took four men to remove him and he had recently moved to the area hoping to find jobs and I'm sure that the lack of jobs and the kind of dire situation led to him trying to wait for the train to squish him. Then there was John Isaacson who believed that he had been sent to earth to kill the devil and he kind of his uh, hallucinations took over in a missionary meeting and he kind of kept people away from him for quite a while. 25 people were in this meeting along with three officers that tried to subdue him. He was eventually taken also to the Mendota Asylum. He did try to escape um, on the train ride there, even with his legs and arms bound. And it, reportedly, he put up quite a fight uh, with the kind of people trying to bring him there. The, I don't know if it would have been police or asylum workers, um, but it took a while to subdue him. So he, he hardcore believed what he was seeing. Um, which I guess is a, a lot of these, is you have people who are suffering from mental illnesses that doesn't necessarily make them bad people, but it does make them sick people that can't distinguish reality through um, reality and hallucinations. There was also Lydia Berger, who set her father's barn and house on fire, and she claimed to have done this because he had beaten her. She was then taken in by a neighbor and then set their house on fire. Um, there's another report, which I don't know if the neighbor or the father's who they're referring to, that she had set her employer's barn and house on fire. So clearly she had a history of fires. She had told her employer the reason she'd set the fire was that she was homesick and she wanted excitement. And I guess that arson is very exciting, but also, you know, a little bit immoral, a lot of bit immoral, just saying. There was also a temperance movement at this time, and that was due to cases like a father who, after a drunken night out, came home, killed his child, and then was so intoxicated after killing the child, he tried to strangle his wife. Wife was presumably trying to intervene and stop him from um, hurting the child. Luckily, a neighbor came in and prevented this but this is kind of one of those stories like I said temperance movement is this idea they want to ban alcohol and so cases like this where father hurts his own child was kind of their motivation saying like he wouldn't have done this had he not drank alcohol and so this is what's going to lead to the passing of the 18th amendment in the 1920s and last until 1933 which just outlawed all alcohol, hoping to kind of stop this problem. Another case that's kind of unsettling is after some beliefs of kind of malpractice by the funeral home, uh, they dug up the body of a woman only to discover her fingers had been chewed off um, by herself because she was not, or she was not dead when she was buried. Instead, she was only in a trance. And so when realizing her situation, she tried to eat her own fingers. 
Um, there was also a woman who had a sore on her back and she thought the only way to rid of it, I believe she thought it was cancer, was to set herself on fire. Um, so these are just a few of the cases. I'm sure the book has many, 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 many more. Um, and the documentary covered other cases as well. Goes in a little bit more depth, so definitely check that out. Um, but Black River Falls is still a city today. It did recover from this very dark time period. Um, and if you think about it, after 1910, you start having the World War starts, you see more jobs created, which I'm sure helped that economic recovery. Um, but yeah, that's my spooky story for you today. Um, not necessarily spooky or supernatural, but it's a time period where there was a lot of people who were struggling, who had alcoholic tendencies, who had mental illnesses, and it all just seemed to uh, paint a very bleak picture. Luckily, we've moved past this. And if you research more outside of this, it's hard to find sources, which I'm sure Black River Falls does not want to focus on this darker time period. And there's the question of if you're nitpicking all of the dark things that happened over a 20 year period, you might find a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like bad things happened during each time, but I think just the economic situation made it more common. But let me know what you guys think. Do you think that this was just a bad time period or do you think that there's something supernatural going on in Black Falls, Wisconsin? Black River Falls. Oh geez, I can't even name the thing correct. Um, but you can let me know what you think at Badgerland Journal Stories of Wisconsin on Facebook, Badgerland Journal on Instagram, or send me an email at badgerlandjournal at gmail.com. And until next time, keep it spooky. Thank you.